hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have an episode with the amazing Elena Mallory. Elena interviewed me for her podcast, The Happy Nurse, which you must check out if you haven't already. Today, we're talking all things psychological safety in the workplace, what it was like for me being a nurse unit manager, nursepreneurship, and all of the other amazing things that come up in this chat today with Elena. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Happy Nurse Podcast. Today, I am joined by my amazing friend, Liam Caswell. Welcome back to the show, Liam. Hello, Elena. Hello, everyone at the Happy Nurse Podcast. It's fab to be here. Liam has his own podcast as well. I'm sure many of you have heard of it. He's been a guest on this podcast before. He has a high-performance nursing podcast, so please check it out if you haven't already. Liam is a high-performance nurse coach. He's got 10 years of international healthcare experience across Scotland, England, Australia, and Fiji. He has a varied clinical background, and Liam has experience in critical care, acute medicine, rehab, tertiary education, and clinical leadership. Liam seeks to coach, educate, and transform the lives and careers of nurses, empowering them to balance self-care and well-being on the path to high-performance nursing. Liam has a dual master's in international public health and health management from the University of New South Wales, Sydney, and has most recently become an NLP practitioner, all of which positively influences coaching practice. Liam's vision is simple. He wants to influence and reshape the nursing narrative, empowering nurses to deliver high-performance care for our patients whilst caring for ourselves. I love that vision that you have, Liam. Yeah, it's good to reconnect to that vision, actually. It's mm-hmm. funny how it evolves. Like, it's always fundamentally the same. But yeah, you reading that, I'm like, that's right. That's what my vision is. <laughs> that is your vision. That's your why. That is my why. Start with why, isn't it? Very good. Simon Sinek, you got to love him. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got to connect with that why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think as nurses, that's really important, actually. Yeah. Well, we all know what we do, right? We all know what we do. Like, I'm a critical care nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Many of us don't. We know how we do it. We know how we do our job day to day. But we don't actually stop and really think about, why is it that I'm doing this? Yeah. What's the evidence base behind this? Mm. You know? Mm. Is there a different way to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We love a rationale, but we don't stop and apply that rationale to ourselves, I think, is what I find when I coach nurses, is we really don't stop and go, well, why do I work in rehabilitation care? Yeah, exactly. What is it about that aspect of nursing that attracted you there in the first place? You know, why did you not go and be a stoma nurse? You know, it's all these different there's so many different avenues to go down with nursing. Mm, yeah. It's interesting. Like myself, I've obviously, I've been in theatre for over 20 years. And I know there's all these other options available, but I don't want to go looking there because I'm quite happy where I am. I don't know if that's because I'm in my comfort zone and I don't want to push the boundaries 
or if it's just that I know I'm good at it and I'm going to stay where I'm good. Yeah, it's a good point because why is it's a confronting question because mm. it kind of like makes you really question what you believe to be true, right? And most people's why is determined by a graduate panel <laughs> when they start their career yeah. and they apply for a graduate program and their why is literally determined by the lived experience to that point and the hope that they're going to get their specialty. And then a panel is like, no, you're going to go to mental health for six months and aged care and you wanted to go to critical care. And all of a sudden, you know, that in itself can really, you know, change it up for you in your career. And you can get really disconnected from your why straight away. Because <laughs> if your why is to deliver one-to-one nursing care in ICU as a graduate and you start mental health and aged care, that is very far removed <laughs> from your why. Yeah, very, very different to the expectation you had of what your nursing career was going to look like. Yeah, but I guess if you have a very strong why when you start your career, or even if you're making a move in your career and you connect to that, you know no matter what, happens whether it's aged care mental health that you will get to your why to your goal right your impossible goal because ultimately you it's so strong like that's why simon sinek talks about it the why is the motivator so why do you get up every day and go to work like you know you've got to pay the bills (laughs) you've got to do all the things you've got family to feed but also because you want to deliver care to your patients so you know the why a compelling why is something that i think is missing in a lot of humans um, not just clinicians. I think it's a great space to start when you're really beginning to explore what it is you really want in your career. I feel like I'm just finally really connecting to my why now in the work that I do outside of my clinical role. Yeah. And it was going down this path of the the happy nurse and the workshops and the podcast. And it's now led me to... I'm studying a double major in psychology and counselling. And that is really my why. Like, I am so passionate about what I'm doing now. And I want to use my degree when I finish to work as a therapist for nurses and healthcare professionals, because I've got this understanding of what it's like to work in that environment, having done it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But it's take it's just all been a process, you know what I mean? It's like the first domino went, and then the next one, then the next one, and and now I find myself, you know, twenty two years post registration, back at uni. <laughs> but I wanted to change my major to psychology when I was at uni, yeah. and I didn't. I got talked out of it. But I obviously this is the path I was meant to take. So yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful for so for it. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because, and as you said, you know, you always reconnect back to your why. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I think a lot of people, myself included, think that the why is just going to happen overnight. I spent a lot of those 10 years as a clinician being like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? And kind of like really kind of beating myself up because I was like, why haven't I worked this out yet? And it's reassuring. I think the beauty of podcasting and chatting to people like yourself is we get to hear other people's stories and like 20 years, like, but in that 20 years, you've been sampling, you've been exploring, you've been doing different things and you've been following your curiosity and 
that's led you to where you are today. And often we can't on the journey there, we're like, we just don't know what's going to happen, right? But when we look back, like you said, it all lines up beautifully. And I feel the same way about coaching. I thought my life was going to be as a clinician, a leader, building my career, you know, I had goals of becoming director of nursing and you know, being the hospital CEO. And then when I experienced coaching and just the transformations that I had from coaching, I just knew. I just knew straight away that I needed to explore this and dive deeper into it. And here we are, you know, like it's my life now. It's what I want to do. And my why, my career why now is to be an example of what's possible for nurses in their career and their lives. You know, it's you can create whatever the hell you want. I just want to get that through to nurses and clinicians across the board. If you want to create something, you can. You're 100% capable of doing it. You just have to start taking the steps. Almost definitely. I mean, I look back on how far I've come, you know, from when I graduated, gosh, year 2000. I think you were the same year, weren't you, Liam? Oh, I was a little bit later. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you're 10 years younger than me. What am I saying? You weren't even in high school. Gosh. No, I was just, I was, I think I was three. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'll be the grandma. Yeah, like I qualified in 2000. And when I think about the last 22 years and what I've done and what I've achieved and yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, but it's all taken its own natural path. But I've always had this internal curiosity in me and I've always not been scared to just go for something and take the plunge. And mm-hmm. it's not been a success every time. It's never going to be. But mm-hmm. you learn from that success and then you do you know what you want and what you don't want from not the success from the the disappointment or the perceived failure. It's not a failure because you always learn something. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it was my nursing that took me across across the world to Australia, a bit like yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think we're conditioned within the profession to kind of, as soon as you start, you get put in a box and you're a graduate, you've got to do X amount of years. And before you can apply for the next role, you've got to, you know, take all the boxes and have five years under your belt and have a postgraduate, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's great, but the times are changing. You know, I chat to people every day that are literally holding themselves back. They're nine, 10, 11, 12 years, 20 years down the track. And they're like, I don't think I'm ready to apply for that yet. Or I don't think I'm ready to go move forward because they are so scared of the failure. I love that you bring that up. They're so scared of failing because they make the failure mean something about themselves rather than it just being just an event. It's just a thing. Like it's just something that happens in life. Like we have to fail to succeed. And I think we're a little bit slow on the uptake of that, myself included. You know, I was failure reverse. And I think the profession drums into us that you can't fail. So we have to undo that pattern. There's literally like we come into work and they're like, don't make any mistakes. <laughs> don't give the wrong medications. You know, you could kill someone. And we're all like, oh, my goodness. And then that feeds into the rest of our life where we're then like, we don't want to you know, invest in a personal trainer because we're like worried that we'll fail and we won't lose weight. And it just spills over. And I think the beauty of the work that you do, the work that I do is that we can then go, How's that serving you to believe that that's true now? Like, let's just take a step back and look at it from afar and just see, is this 
serving you in your life and it's allowing you to be the best version of yourself and failure or not like I love the failures I'm like give me all the failures and I talk about it all the time on my podcast we need to increase our failure tolerance as humans as clinicians maybe not so much but as humans like we need to increase our tolerance to failure we need to fail harder and fail forwards a lot of people fail backwards you know they fail they stop they stagnate and they don't go for it ever again because they made it mean something really terrible about their worth and their capacity instead of being like this is great feedback thank you universe i'm moving forward and i'm gonna try something different yeah take another path less traveled rather than the one that everyone else takes Mm, mm. and i love how you say feeling forward because it is like you may feel like you've failed or like you perceive that it's a failure but Think of what you've learned from that experience. You know, it's there's always a silver lining. And I don't want to sound like toxic positivity. That's not the way I want it to come across. But it's there's always a lesson. And if, if nothing else, it just shows you that that wasn't what was meant to be. You know, but there's no, I think people get tied up in the shame around it as well, you know. And it's people need to embrace vulnerability more. Now I'm going down Brene Brown's path. But (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's that whole we're scared to be vulnerable. Mm. And to allow ourselves to fail is to be very vulnerable. It's probably one of the most ultimate things to do to be vulnerable. But yeah, there's so much to be learned in that process at the same time. Yeah. I mean I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast before, but this is my third attempt at moving to Australia. You know, the first two times I failed, but I kept going. I think they call me a ping pong palm because I kept <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> you know, there's a few of us in Perth, apparently. I love yeah, like this is the third time I've moved here because the first two times I got incredibly homesick and wanted to go home. So I did. But yeah, I've been here now 12 years and Australia is my adopted home but if I hadn't have kept going goodness knows what way my life would have went I mean it could have been even better could have been even worse but I know that I followed that dream and even though it didn't work out the first couple of times I persevered and here I am now yeah the vulnerability is such a big piece and we love Brene Brown I've actually started I know you're a huge fan of her as well started reading her book Atlas of the Heart yeah I've read most of it yeah it's a deep book but it's fascinating and I'm loving it so far and I just think that there's such scope for us to lean into the vulnerability in healthcare a bit more and to kind of let that armor down let the guard down as Brene says you know the transformer just let it down and just embrace that like daring leadership style, whether you're a nurse on the floor, you're a director of nursing, whatever, everybody is leading and just leaning into that learning, learning versus knowing you don't have to know everything. I think, again, that's something that we're fed is that we, we need to know it all. Like doctors know everything. They're so like, you know, us nurses, we don't know. Everything. Like we need to go into a specialty so we can become a specialist and learn everything there is to know. It's just not humanly possible. We're setting ourselves up for failure 
And it's fine if you're failure tolerant, <laughs> but most of us aren't, right? Yeah. Most of us aren't failure tolerant. But even doctors are specialists in their own field as well. You know, they don't know everything about everything because they're so specialised in what it is that they specialise in. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. I love reminding myself that vulnerability, you know, as humans, like we don't like, there's three things that we don't really love buying into and we will avoid at all costs. It's avoiding pain. We're seeking pleasure. And, oh, what's the third thing? I'm forgetting. Avoid pain, seek pleasure and do something with the least amount of energy to achieve a goal. We want to stay safe in our comfort zone. And vulnerability requires us to challenge all three of those things, plus lots of other things. But on a simple concept, it challenge, requires you to consciously go through pain and choose to move through pain there's no pleasure or there's little pleasure in the process. You have to create the pleasure and the gratitude and the positivity for yourself. And you have to put effort in. I see it all the time working with nurses that are going for their dream job or you know, leading a team for the first time. They have to challenge those three kind of beasts, those three challenge areas. And moving through that's really hard. And vulnerability is kind of like the first step in that, just being like open to it and leaning into it. Yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> it is easier said than done. But once you embrace it, it just becomes a way of like life and how you operate, mm. especially as a clinician, I think. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot to be said as well about if you're going to be leaning into the vulnerability. This is a perfect segue to talk about psychological safety in the workplace. You know, that is a culture that we need to be adopting so that people can feel vulnerable Mm -hmm. and ask the hard questions and you know ask for help and look at things in a different way Mm. I think we need to create more space for psychological safety Mm -hmm. I was amazed when I was working as a nurse unit manager and as an educator how few people knew about it it just was not a concept anybody understood and I'm just like wow this is the crux of creating a high-performing team is having psychological safety in the workplace. And yes, it can be challenging to create, but there are little micro steps that people can take day to day. And, you know, whether you're a team leader, a num, an educator, or just a peer on the floor, assistant in nursing, you can create a psychologically safe space for our patients, which we do very well typically. You know, what do you need? What can we get you? Like, we're here to look after you. We set them up for success as best as we can. But we then do offer that to ourselves, our colleagues, the multidisciplinary team. And that's where we need to extend that safety so that we can operate at a highest level. It is, I think, a fundamental missing piece. And the challenge is, and we talked about this earlier, how do you create psychological safety when there are so many pressures? Like you've got 10 patients waiting in ED and you've got six staff on shift today and three of them are agency and your budget is over by $1.5 million this year and we've still got six months left. And the CEO is saying, you need to call staff on a night shift. You know, how do you create psychological safety within your team when that's the environment that you're operating in? It's really, really challenging and requires a really high level of, and I haven't mastered this for sure, a really high level of mind management, you know, personal trust and self-awareness that I think a lot of us, well, 
we just don't have. I'd love to know your take on it and your perspective on that. But I find it deeply frustrating, very challenging as a numb, balancing all of that and then really buying into psychological safety and knowing how much it was going to transform the workplace. Yeah, I think it's definitely a concept that needs to be adopted and a culture that we need to nurture within healthcare. But it's systemic. So it's like every single level has to have that psychological safety. You know what I mean? Because like if you think about like I'm thinking about middle management here. So like your nuns. The way the industry is set up just now, I'm just gonna say it. I'm thinking Elena. Don't censor yourself. Go for it. The way the industry is set up at the moment, if you don't fit in the box of the numb and what they look like, and you try to implement something new like psychological safety, put the well-being of your staff, your employees, on the same level as the well-being of your patients, you're probably going to get walked out of the building very quickly and they'll replace you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You'll no longer be required. And that's the really sad reality. Mm. Like we were, Liam and I were chatting before we started recording and we were saying, you know, when you're in that management position, like I used to act up and do theatre management occasionally. You've got the pressure from both sides on you. You're like the sandwich filling. It's a very, very interesting role to be undertaking isn't it yeah it's a highly stressful role and we talked about this earlier you are literally sitting in cognitive overload first and foremost because there's just so much happening it is humanly impossible to know what's happening for 30 patients what's happening for your 50 staff and your 20 mdt and then to be able to understand what's happening in the broader organization and then also have your workload it is a huge pressure. So you're cognitively overloaded, but you're also in cognitive dissonance, sitting there with, like you just said, what does the senior colleagues, what do they need from me? What do my 50 staff need from me? And you have these like competing thoughts. Like I used to, it was like a bloody boxing match in my brain. It's like, you know, I've got the Don saying, Liam, you've got to call somebody from night shift to take it down to like three staff for 30 patients on a night shift in like a rehab setting, crazy. And then on the other side of it, my staff are like, but we can't cope. Like we can't do this, Liam. And I trust and value my staff and their opinion. And as a human, I'm trying to make the right decision that's ethical, moral, that's budget friendly, that it doesn't fit all the boxes. So you're right. If you don't fit that mold and, we often hear it all the time in healthcare, like, are you a yes person? Hmm. You know, are you going to just sit there and be like, yes, director of nursing, I will do that. And if you're not, then there's maybe not a space for you there. And that's really sad. And that is what I have found to be true. I've worked in more progressive places that are open to it. But by default, what happens then, and that's why I came up with the concept of high performance nursing was you become the high performer that then everybody wants you to do all of the things for them because they see that you're capable of doing it. And then the people that have been slacking for years that haven't pulled their weight, that are in the job by default, that are yes people, they need to ride on your coattails. So your workload is like tripled, you know? And it's like, how do you then become 
like deliver for your area, deliver for yourself and your team, and then also like carry three other warts, you know, mm. and then also take the failures when it doesn't work. And then it hasn't worked across four areas. It's very interesting. And the whole, I don't know, there's a lot of leadership toxicity. There's a lot of playing each other off each other. And I don't know if you've noticed this in senior leadership, but, oh, Liam's board's doing this. Um, you know, maybe the three other CNCs or NAMs should do the same thing, which is lovely when you think about it, but then it brings up everybody's insecurities. Like, what, is my ward not doing it well enough? Mm. And because we don't have psychological safety, we can't sit there and go and celebrate, like, Elena's doing this amazing thing on her unit. And we should be like, wow, that's amazing. How can I integrate that into my ward? But instead, (laughs) instead we go catty bitchy, like nasty. And it's like, well, how dare you? Like that will work on my ward because orthopedics is different to gynae. Like no way that will work here. And you're like, really? Like we need to systematize the processes. It needs to be systematized and tweaked accordingly. It is fascinating. I could talk forever on that. <laughs> well, so could I. It is. And I'm sitting here, my mind is whirring as I'm listening to you. Mm. It is It's really, really fascinating. But it all comes down to, I don't know if it all comes down to, but a lot of it comes back to that self-awareness. Yes. Yeah. Mm. An awareness of what our triggers are. Yeah. Like the example you just gave, you know, of someone who was implementing something that was really working and then the others were all kind of, it's that tall poppy syndrome, is that not what they call it here in Australia? Yeah. You know, it's this phenomenon that people want to knock other people's successes down. And I don't understand it myself, but I know I've certainly been a victim of it. You know, I've recently been kind of trolled on social media, which I was really shocked by. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon. Mm. But I think we all need to have this level of self-awareness so we know what our triggers are and what we will react to and, and why we react the way we do when we do. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that that's the biggest challenge that I'm finding and the biggest lesson that I've learned having gone through 10 years of building my career pushing, trying to be the high achiever, trying to people please everybody and burning out multiple times is that the most important thing for a clinician to be able to master is knowing themselves. Yeah. And also on top of that, being able to be compassionate with ourselves. Yeah. 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 Like we were talking about, you know, the failure, we have to be compassionate. Like you wouldn't say to friends who've just failed the same things you say to yourself. Never, ever in a month of Sundays. Mm-mm. You know, no. it's a really interesting phenomenon. And we are our own biggest critics. And when we have that self-awareness and that self-compassion, and also it comes down to self-forgiveness as well. You know, like I'm going down the mindfulness path here. This is not new stuff. This is based on Buddhist teachings that are thousands of years old if we could all just you know offer ourselves that compassion that forgiveness and lean into the vulnerability of being able to do that 
-hmm. it would start to create psychological safety because, yeah, the systems are broken. And like, I'm the first one to call that one out. But we all as individuals can make a collective difference by all starting to be a bit more self-aware and self-compassionate. And once you can do that for yourself, it then extends out and you're able to do that for other people too. Yeah, it's so powerful. And like you said, we know the system is broken, right? And we can advocate, but why not advocate from a really clean, self-aware space, like where you're not hating on the system? You know, it is what it is. It is a Mm -hmm. system that is huge that we can influence. We cannot change it. It will take decades to positively influence it. That's not people off doing the work. But focus on what you can control in your life and detach yourself from the, I mean, I really struggle. I think it's great that we advocate and we do all of these things and you know, we're striking in New South Wales. I think it's great. We need to have a voice, but at the same time, not if it's causing you personal issues, mm-hmm. personal mind trauma, like PTSD. You need to see somebody for that, but also recognize that how is it serving you to sit in that like despise and resentment for the system? I did it for 10 years. I know I was you know, burnt out. I was anxious. I was depressed. I was overweight. It did not serve me to do that and to keep going through that process and reliving that every time something happened. Oh, well, the system's broken. This is crappy. You know, instead I could go, well, yeah, it's broken, but I'm choosing to believe that I'm giving it my best. And I'm doing the best that I can with what I have. And I'm so proud of that. Mm. I mean, I don't think that's toxic positivity. I think that's just be that's seeing two sides of the coin. It's broken, but I'm choosing to believe that I'm doing the best. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'm so, so proud of that. First is the system's broken and I am a victim of the system. It's all, a lot of it comes down to that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation you know what is motivating our behavior is it external circumstances or is it something inside of us yeah and when we're being motivated intrinsically then we can come from that more compassionate forgiving space rather than the the shame the blame the the externalizing that we tend to do when we start blaming the structures and the processes. Mm, yeah. Circle of influence, circle of concern. Mm-hmm. You just, you can't do anything about those things. You can advocate and you can come from a really healthy, compassionate, centered place and be like, you know what? And here's the thing like people say, oh, but you know, well, when you're in it, you can't, it's really hard when you're in the moment, you have to practice creating space for yourself between the external circumstance and then your reaction or trigger to it and allow yourself to explore that. I love what you said there about the self-compassion, self-gratitude. And I heard something recently around burnout. And I've always looked at burnout as like this terrible event that happened in my life. Like I've kind of labeled it as this thing that was just horrible, you know, because it feels so terrible in the moment. And this guy was talking about reframing it as like one of the best things that's ever happened to you. Hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting reframe. I had not thought of it as something that has served me because had I not have burnt out, I wouldn't have set up high performance nursing. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. 
like I don't think I don't know. Like you might not have been doing happiness had you not have burned out. I'm sitting here nodding. Yeah, I totally agree. I would be the same. Had I not burnt out twice, yeah, I wouldn't be following the path that I am now. Like it's horrible to go through that. But again, it's it's horrible because it wasn't pleasurable. It was painful, and we had to do work to get out of it. So that motivational triad was a, was an issue, and we needed to move through it. And what he was offering was, he was offering to compassion for burnout. And he was like, why are we shaming burnout? And I thought, wow, that really spoke to my soul. And I thought, we do spend a lot of time sending him like, burnout's taken this from me. It's taken that from me. But what has it given you? I think it's such a powerful question. And anybody that's moving from like a toxic workplace, I have a friend today that phoned me just before we came on. And she is leaving a really crappy workplace and I worked there as well. And it was not great. And today was the last day and no one said, good luck. No one said anything positive as she left the unit. Adon didn't acknowledge her work or her contributions. And it's happened to all of us. And I just said to her, I said, you know, deep down what you have offered that place. And I said, and she was going down that path. I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's terrible. And I said, what has that place given you? Mm. What has that place given you? that's allowed you to create this amazing new opportunity. She's just got a promotion. She's doing a job that's Monday to Friday. She can see her kids more. I said, it has given you this. Like you had to go through that to get this. I am a believer in that. And I think it's just better to sit in the positivity than the negativity. Definitely. And you've made me think, I'm sitting here thinking, it's my burnout has definitely given me so much more than it's ever taken. Without a doubt. Yeah. And how powerful is that? Like, I've got goosebumps when you feel that. That's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's given, honestly, 10 times. It's given me 10 times as much as I ever took. Mm. And look what you've created from it. Mm. It's that dark night of soul. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Totally. Yeah, it just depends what lens you put on, you know? Like, it really does come down to consciously just choosing to look at it from different angles and one of the things I love doing, I talked about this in our workshop, was like just writing it all down. I know there's lots of different strategies, but like write it all down on a bit of paper and just really assess it. Like it, what are these thoughts that you're having, the stories, as Brene would say, that you're having about your life? Yeah. Like how are they serving you? And then consciously choose whether you want to keep telling yourself that same story. Like you wouldn't watch a Netflix documentary that was terrible that kept repeating the same thing. But we choose to cognitively repeat the same story. You have such a good point. Yeah, the movie's just on repeat. And until we interrupt that pattern, we're just going to keep reliving it. And we know, like we know, having done what we've done and helping others, like what got you to this point in your career, your life, your relationship, is not going to get you to where you want to be. Like you have to keep reinventing yourself. And we see that as a negative. I did. I saw it as a negative. I thought, why? I was in this why mindset. I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, but I was like, why should I have to come to work every day and be harassed by relatives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was very victim. Like, why should I stay three hours late to do the roster and put it out when all the staff then come back the next day and hate the roster? <laughs> when I was doing it in my own time, there was so much of that going on. And I just had to stop the pattern and go, what am I doing? This is just not serving me to think that it's true. No one was forcing me to sit there. I chose to sit there mm-hmm. and do it. Yeah. And it can almost become self-perpetuating when we do go down that rabbit holes of 
why am I bothering? Why am I doing this? You know, but it's about focusing on, like you said, you know, what it's bringing you, any joy that it's bringing you, you know, the gratitude for the experience. And I'm not dismissing people having traumatic experiences and stuff. That's not what we're talking about here at all. It's about that day-to-day internal narrative that we have that we sometimes just start to get a bit self-defeatist and think, why am I bothering? It's about reframing that and rewriting that that narrative and that movie and that story that we tell ourselves. Yeah. And imagine if we worked in a healthcare system that did that, that allowed us that space, that you could see, you know, in your colleague that they were just having such a tough day and you'd approach them and you say, you know, take what you need, go and take 10 minutes, I'm going to look after your patient loads and go and, you know, just work through your thoughts, like just Mm. write them all down, get it out of your head. And often, like as a nurse unit manager, that was my job. (laughs) I'd walk around the unit, I'd see people struggling, I'd see them having a bad day with the patients and relatives. And I'd say, right, Jenna, how can we make this a bit better for you today? Let's come and have a debrief and chat through it. And they would debrief, they'd chat through it. They might have a cry. That's totally fine. And they get out there and they just feel like this weight has been lifted. Like we know from the research that we can't operate in a cognitively overloaded state all the time. We just can't do it. And that is something that we're expected to do. From 7 a.m., we are cognitively overloaded till 3.30. It just doesn't stop. So we need to really, the industry needs to focus on how can we alleviate that? How can we use technology? How can we use systems, processes to streamline the work and create a psychologically safe environment where you can approach your manager and sit in their office and cry and not feel ashamed, not worry that it's going to stop you from getting a promotion because you're not ready yet. You know, when actually you're a human with emotions and needs. We all fundamentally want to be seen and heard, you know? It's one of our basic needs. And I think that's a lot of the problem in nursing is that you don't feel seen and you don't feel heard. You just feel like you go and you're another cog in this massive wheel and that Mm. at times you feel like nobody really gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. You're just a number. Yeah, and we all come in and, you know, you're not onboarded properly. (laughs) You come in, you don't get your orientation shifts. You're not, you're immediately in fight or flight, immediately. Mm -hmm. And that is super challenging. And that is, that's the standard, right? That's That's the foundation that you're building upon rather than coming in and it being like, I've worked in non clinical corporate environments and it blows my mind. I'm just like, wow, for the first time in my life, I feel seen <laughs> i feel valued i feel trusted and it just makes such a different you know you just create a different narrative from the get-go yeah you're just operating from a better place we need to invest in those systems processes yeah thank you so much liam it's always such a pleasure chatting to you you've offered so much useful insights and and tips to the listeners as always on that note have a great day everyone and we'll see you soon If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below.
Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.